This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High Performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness, craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency on Demand. I have a wonderful guest. I'm really excited. We recently got connected by a friend, a mutual friend of ours. And I'm really, really excited about the topic we're going to talk about and we share. And my guest, John, he is from a very similar background. I want to say that I was, he just has way plenty more experience than I do. So I'm super happy to dive into his story. And let me welcome him to the show. John Murphy, welcome to the show. And thank you so much for having time. Monique, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. All right. So before we get started with all of this, uh, first, please give us a little introduction to yourself and where are you from and what have you done so far? Okay, so I said John Murphy. I'm originally from Ireland. There's a definite hint in the surname. I spent my career, early career, the corporate world. I, I spent in Ireland, where I started as a door-to-door insurance salesman. Then I became a sales manager, then a sales director, and then a marketing director. And then ultimately, I became, over a long period of time, I became the CEO of a pan-European insurance group based in Dublin. So that was up to 2004, and I left in 2004, and I set up my own coaching business, John Murphy International, and uh, that really was focused on senior executives and senior cross-function senior management teams, and really helping the executives and the teams to really optimize their own potential. And, and, and I've been doing that, and I've been fortunate to work with some great companies at the likes of Pfizer and Merck and Vodafone and Airbus and, and, and many others. So large companies and also, you know, smaller privately owned companies. And that's been just a, a real joy. So that's, that's where I am, a very quick trip through my uh, CV. Yeah, I love that. So we chatted a little bit up front. So I know kind of where to go with my questions a little bit. <laughs> so yeah. I want to start with Actually, the reason, and we had this just before, but the reason why you decided to leave the corporate world. Well, there. I mean, I, I'm not one to criticize the corporate world because the corporate world was very good to me, right. and and I and I'd hoped that I was good good to it. But you know, like like a lot of people, kind of go into the corporate world. I got, you know, I was ambitious. I was young. I was ambitious, and I really wanted to make a mark, and I really want to make a mark. So. Yeah, so I really, when I started off, you know, was a salesman, then wanted to become a sales manager, then got that, then wanted to become a sales director, got that, then marketing director, et cetera, et cetera. And then I became CEO. I said that was over a couple of different companies and over a, a reasonably long period of time. And there's a, there's a little bit of be careful what you wish for, because I, I suddenly realized that, not suddenly, but four years into the job, I kind of felt, you know what, I kind of enjoyed 
getting here more than I enjoy being here. And I found that, you know, a lot of the work I just found wasn't terribly fulfilling, but it also coincided with a kind of a, a major event in my own life in the fact that my, my first wife and the, the mother of my three daughters died very suddenly at the age of 39 and left me with, um, you know, I've got three great daughters. At the time, they were 15, 13, and 10. And, and that was, you know, that's the sort of event that you know can happen, but you always think it'll only happen to other people and won't happen to you. And, and if that sort of event does not kind of stop you and pull you up short, then I don't know what will. So suddenly it was kind of valuation. Well, I had justified, is anybody going through the corporate career? You know, you're away a lot, you're traveling, you know, you're at meetings, you're entertaining, you're doing all sorts of things, but you're, you're doing a lot that's, away, that's taking you away from home and your family, and you rationalize it and justify it mm. in the name of, well, I'm doing this for the family, and which, let's be honest, is partially true, but is also partially not true. It's partially for your own ego. And, but when I suddenly realized, okay, well, now here was I kind of building this so that, you know, we could have whatever we had ambitions to have. And suddenly, you know, my partner's no longer there. And so what was it all for? So that really started the kind of soul searching and saying, is this, is the role that I'm doing, is it fulfilling me? Do I feel that it really is making an impact other than just on the P&L? And if I were to drop off this mortal soil, would people actually feel that I'd made an impact? And, I, and the answer was no. And my own answer was no to that. So I really kind of felt that if that was the case, so what am I going to do about it? So now I've got this great realization. What do I do about it? And I didn't, I didn't immediately leave the corporate world. Because I'm not stupid. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're well paid, you're well looked after and everything else. And also I was trying to figure out, so if, I, so if I'm not doing this, which is what I kind of had driven myself to for many, over many, many years. So now I've discovered that this is not the fulfilling role that I thought it was going to be. What do I do that is? But I did recognize that one part of the, the role that I really enjoyed doing was you know, hiring, coaching, developing people, and also building really effective teams. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, okay, well, I will, I will take that and, and create the business around that because I, I got great satisfaction out of it. I got great satisfaction out of being a catalyst for other people to grow and develop and to be really effective and efficient at what they do. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 16 years. And I think that you know, it's interesting as you go along that journey, because as you go deep with clients, and, and, and I've been discovering that you know, so much in the last couple of years, that yes, I can help somebody to be effective in their role, and I can you know, guide them to, you know, to either, you know, in terms of running a business, because I've had the experience of running a big business, I've had the experience of running my own business for 16 years, and I've had the experience of, kind of, of developing and coaching people. So I can guide them a lot in that space. But actually for them, the question comes up for them, the same question that came up for me, well, is this it? Is that all there is to it? And is there something more? Which is really kind of taking me to the kind of the evolution of the work I'm doing. I mean, I still continue coaching and doing all of that, but I'm now looking at you creating a mastermind because I think there's a real need for people to feel that their life actually matters 
and that their life has some significance and that their life has got some legacy. And also that when they're growing, that it's not just that one dimension of their life that they're growing in, which is their career, that they're growing in all aspects of their lives. So that's really kind of a long-winded answer to, <laughs> to your question. But you know, I think that it is important for everyone to, to have that time of self-reflection, to f- try and figure out, well, you know, what is it I'm doing? Because otherwise we fall into the routine of, I've got a job, I turn up, I perform, I get paid, I, I turn up, I perform, I get paid. And we get on this kind of wheel and, and not to pause it for a while to kind of say, well, am I growing? And are the people that I'm around, are they growing as a consequence of what I am doing? And I think that's just something that comes up for people. And, and I'm really passionate about helping people to, to do that because the one thing that, that, we, that, we, that we all know is that we're all going to die. So we'll all, sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll all have that same final journey, which is to go into a box or go into an urn as ashes or whatever it might be. And that's indiscriminate, but irrespective of how much money you have to bank, what road or prestige, how many properties you own, how many cars you drive, or if you've actually been begging on the street, we all end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. So it's not about the accumulation. I have nothing about the accumulation of wealth because if you don't have it, then you can't use it properly. I, have nothing, I mean, obviously, businesses need to be profitable because if they're not, they don't exist. But it's about making sure that, that people are growing in a much more holistic way and that they are surrounding themselves with people that are really going to help them grow. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love all about that. Um, part of my work is also to... I put this kind of in the leadership space because for me, leadership starts within you. It doesn't start with a team. You don't need a team to be a leader. You need to lead yourself first to be able to lead a team later on. And I I think that's very true. I think that that is so true because I think that, you know, if you look, I mean, it is stating the obvious. Leadership does not come with your title. You You can have the title of a CEO, but that doesn't mean that you're a leader. Right. Leader comes about how you behave, how you engage other people, and how you lead other people. And the fact of the matter is that you can't be a leader if you don't have followers, right? And you'll only have followers if people actually believe in you and believe in what you stand for mm-hmm. and believe in... And also, they will, de- they will determine whether... Because I can say what I stand for, but if my behavior is different, then people just realize I'm a liar, right? I, and that's yeah. what I am. And, and that's why when we look around the world today, Monique, where, where a lot of people are, have got this kind of feeling of discontent and, 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 and they're disengaged and they're looking, they're looking for value-based leadership. Yeah. And they're looking for people that they can lead. And that's why, why you know, if you look at the political world, if you look at many of the religious world, I mean, I know I'm generalizing, but as a generalization, it's pretty true. Leadership has been lacking and people are just kind of really disenchanted, which is why you people see people kind of disengaging from the things that they should be engaged with and just being really disenchanted by that. So I think leadership is just such an, it's, we really cry out for it. And, yeah. and it, it doesn't, you don't have to wait to have a team to become a leader. You can be a leader just as an individual contributor because it's how you behave 
and how you impact upon other people. And that's what leadership is about. Absolutely. I want to even go a step further and I want to say leadership starts when no one is watching you. The yeah. way you act, treat yourself, behave, talk to yourself, that's how your leadership starts, right? Which is why I think maybe even influencers like these Instagram influencers are having such a hype these days because they're easier to follow, not even on Instagram, but you know what I mean? Like easier to follow as a personality, as a characteristic, rather than, as you just said, like, you know, authorities in religion or in politics. I mean, we don't need to go far, look far (laughs) to find out that. they're yeah, not trying to follow. No, that's right. I think I think the one of the problems, I mean, you know, social media is wonderful. And social media gives us the opportunity to connect and to engage and to, to stay in contact and do all sorts of things and get access and, you know, to a, a whole new world. I think the problem with a lot of the, as you say, the Instagram influencers is that they portray this kind of this veneer and this gloss so that there is that external Thing, but actually, and that gives the impression that you know my life is perfect, and no one's life is perfect, right? Oh hell no! <laughs> so everybody, and so everybody feels that, in comparison to the life that they're seeing on the Instagram, gosh, doesn't my life look terribly ordinary and 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 damaged and and impaired? And and I think that's the danger. And I think that the true leaders, true leaders, are really vulnerable people, and they display their vulnerability. Right. Because, you know, if I think that you are perfect in every way and if I think that you have cracked it in every way, which there's not a human being on this earth that has that. But if I do think that about you, I can't really connect with you and identify with you because I know my own flaws. So I think the most powerful leaders are the leaders that are quite open to displaying their own vulnerability. And also what you're saying about, you know, when no one's looking, that comes back to what I was saying about value base, because if you hold true to your values, you live by your values, whether anybody is watching you or anybody isn't watching you, right? It's just who you are. And it's the standards that you hold yourself accountable to and for. So I think it's really important that we do that. And I think that's really what people are looking for. And if you look at it in organizations, organizations have changed so dramatically where, I mean, when I go back, I know it's a long time ago, but when I started working, it is a long time ago, but when I started working, there was very much you kind of turned up and you did what you were told, right? Which was kind of the way it was. And that old kind of command and control type of, of management, you know, I mean, that's gone out a long time, but there are some semblances of it that you still see hanging around. And, and that's not how people want to be treated. It's not how people are going to grow. It's not how people are going to evolve. It's not how people are going to develop. So I think one of the challenges in organizations is that the generation that you've got coming into the organizations right now, are, you know, have got, they've got a very different mindset to the people that joined many years ago who kind of saw it maybe as a job for life or a job for a long time. People join now are kind of seeing they're going to spend you know, a number of years, short number of years with you and probably move on. And there's no bad thing about that. There's nothing wrong with that. But during that time, they, to get the most out of them, they want to be engaged. They're looking for engagement and involvement, right? 
But they're only going to be engaged and involved where organizations have clear vision, clear mission, and clear values. Because right. I can't just, I can't engage with just a, a business plan, right? That's just a Absolutely. document. Absolutely, yeah. Right? So, yep. so it is that purpose side. So that's why, so they, therefore you come back to the leadership thing again. Yeah, but you bring me to the question that I had already like previously. Um, I'm glad you bring it up again. So I want to talk a little bit about how things actually changed within society, looking at like what we're actually what's actually I think what's possible for us also within a job because as you said you know you come from a time where you just had this command control kind of set set up where I want to say the boss not even I think by this time you had bosses yeah. in my time it was more they tried to be managers and now we're hopefully getting more into leadership so <laughs> I hope we're at the time that we can kind of you know go to the leadership part But even I learned that you just, you know, you be, you're told what to do and you better shut the F up and do what you're being told. But it's also because of how my parents grew up in East Germany. So this, you know, this experience they had, obviously, like if they would do something wrong, they were literally shut in their face. I mean, that, that was just set. So I was kind of like my sister and me, we're still told there is no questioning, no thinking for yourself, nothing to be go right or left or back or front or whatever. Don't do it differently. Just do what you're told. A job is a job and it's supposed to be t bringing money in. It's not supposed to be fun. And like, you know, all of these kind of weird money mindset things, like my favorite one is like money doesn't grow on trees. And I remember the, I think it was like three, four years back when, or maybe a little bit earlier, it doesn't really matter, maybe two, three years when I had already my business and my parents, I, it was the first time I visited my parents after I started my business and they were keep telling me how this cannot work, a business in the internet, you know? And I would say like, I don't know what you mean. If I want to make it work, I will make it work. And they're like, but money doesn't grow in trees. And I literally just pulled out like 20 euro notes and 50 euro notes. And I hang them in their plant in the living room. And I said, who is saying that? I have money growing in my trees. If you don't have that, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> and I just told <laughs> them to not tell me this bullshit anymore because it's like so old school. But that was a really long one, that introduction to my question. What do you think how all of these things have changed in form of, you know, what we are told is possible and how chops kind of look like and how our values change in, as you said, what we want to do, right? Yeah, I, I think that, I think people, I mean, thankfully, people have changed and progressed from that. And, and I think that, you know, I think the generation that's, you know, new, relatively new in the workforce and coming into the workforce. I think that they've got, I mean, they're, they're very bright, they're very talented, they're well-educated, and also because of the environment in which they, 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 they've grown up with and they've also entered the workplace. Also, recent events might kind of, it would certainly damage the marketplace somewhat, but, you know, but, it, 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 but still I think the same principle applies is that there is a kind of a sense of, well, years ago it was kind of, well, hum, hum, well what's your salary and what's the bonus and what's the remuneration and what's the package? And now that's kind of taken off the, the table because the attitude is, well, you know, 
if I don't, if you're not going to offer me what I'm looking for here, I'm going to get it down the road anyway. You know, somewhere else would give it to me. So that part of it, it takes it out of the equation. So that doesn't become the kind of deciding factor. The deciding factor is is much more around, if I join this organization, will I grow? Will I develop? Will I be engaged? Will I find it interesting? Will the subject matter we're dealing with, will that be something that I am glad to be part of? Which is a very, very different mindset to the mindset of just get a job and stay with it. So I think that that does help. But as I said earlier, I think then the challenge is kind of managing and developing those people within that environment and the and the managers having the skill set to actually do that and to develop those people because it perhaps is not the way that manager has actually evolved themselves. So I think that there can be a disconnect. And, you know, fortunately, you do see around, you know, some fantastic leaders. And I'm very lucky that I've, I've you know, worked through my own work in coaching people, that, I, that I've worked with some amazing leaders. And, and the wonderful thing is when you see those great leaders in action, you see the impact that they have, mm. which is so powerful when, when it is done right. And I think that the, the, the interesting thing about those, you know, one of the qualities that you see in those really good leaders is that they're not just focused on, well, here's your goals and here's your objectives and here's the revenue figure you've got to hit. And if you do that, then I'll pay you X, Y, and Z. Because that's very much the old transactional relationship. As I said, you turn up, you get paid. They are leaning much more towards kind of developing the individual and finding and, tr- and trying to help people find the balance. And, and, and let's be honest, it's a tricky balance because all organizations pretty much are trying to get more done with, with less money and less people because that's just the nature of it. So, yeah, and that's understandable because businesses have to be profitable. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one to manage. And I think that the individuals, the companies can do so much but the individuals also have to take responsibility for making sure that they're doing what's right for their lives, right? I was talking to somebody, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were saying about they they had uh, a couple of years ago they'd sold a business that they owned, but they discovered they they arrived home to w- with a bucket load of money, but you know there really was very little family back at home when they got there because they nearly lost the family as a consequence of building the business. So I think, you know, this is something that we we need to ensure that, and, and I see that as kind of part of the work that I'm doing and part of the work with the mastermind is kind of creating an environment where we, we're kept on that track. Because let's be honest about it, I will have great intentions that I become, you know, evolve other parts of my life and develop other aspects of my life. But that can disappear very quickly if kind of kind of forget about it. I get sidetracked. It's the, it's the old, you know, look at the gyms in January in every country in the world, packed to the rafters, right? By the middle of February, they're back to the, the same crew that was there all last year, right? Yep. Nobody has stayed the course. Why is that? And that's because there isn't that process built around them of accountability where they're being held accountable mm-hmm. by peers and by people that are, pretty much on the same journey as they are. And I think that that kind of mutual accountability, because, you know, it was Jim Rohn who said is that you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. Now, whether that's absolutely 100% true or not, but the principle is very true, right? 
and and I do believe that, but I believe it's also having having those people around you where it's a safe place to talk, but also everybody has the freedom and the right to hold each other accountable to what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think it is that accountability because we all need it, Monique. Let's face it. We all Absolutely. need it. I need to be held accountable. You need to be held, held accountable because otherwise yeah. I'll say, oh, I have a great idea and I'm going to do this, that and the other. And then a month later, I kind of, oh, what have I done about that? Right. <laughs> and maybe, maybe not an awful lot. So there is that great need to, to have, be, be held accountable by other people, but that you're really, the whole purpose is that you're getting together and you're being individual leaders, but you're being leaders with each other. Yeah. And, and I think that that's so important because nobody ever regrets on their deathbed, you know, that, you know, oh, wow, gosh, I wish I'd spend more time at the office. Right? <laughs> or, that's my favorite to say. You know, or I wish I'd spend more time at board meetings. <laughs> Uh, or I wish I, I came across I a great them. quote. Yeah, I, I came across a, a great quote. I, I probably won't do it justice now if I'm trying to think of it. But I, I interviewed a, a great guy, Stephen Rogelberg, who's a professor. But he wrote a book about the science of meetings. And, uh, and I, I, I hope I'm not misquoting him. But it was to the effect of it that he said, I hope I, hope I die at a staff meeting. Because the transition would be so so smooth to actually go and die. And, and I think it's so true. So nobody ever regrets, gosh, I wish I'd spend more time at meetings. And I wish I'd spend more time at board meetings. And I wish I'd spend more time in the office. So, you know, all the things that really matter. And I think it's also interesting in this time with the COVID and everything that's going on globally, it is actually causing people to reflect upon well, not everybody. Some people are just kind of <laughs> spending their lives with Netflix and the and and Journey to the Fridge. Yeah. But I mean, every or, or the or the, the the wine bottle. <laughs> but I think for for a lot of people, I'm certainly seeing it in my work. A lot of people are kind of beginning to reflect on, yeah, you know, because the things that they took for granted, they suddenly realize actually they're really valuable. You know, right. like family, like the relationships, the connections they have, all took for granted. Right. And suddenly now that you think, you know, th- this is the things that are really important when, when, you know, push comes to shove. And, and I think that all of this kind of isolation or shelter in place or whatever, you know, countries are calling it, I think for a lot of people, it's causing a lot of self-reflection and those that are doing that will come out of this better. Absolutely. And those that have kind of watched everything on Netflix and you know, and raid to the fridge and their wine cellar, will just come out of it ill. Yeah, that's just about the height of it. So, you know, I just think that it's a really interesting time, and I think that it's a time for people to take stock and say, okay, well, we know we're not going. Nobody knows what the new normal is going to look like. But one thing we all know is that it's not going to be exactly the same as where we came from. So, how can you best prepare? Well, the one thing that you can do is be the best version of you. There's nothing stopping you from becoming that. So sure. that's work that we can do. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So what can we do to become the best version of ourselves? And I think we will do that work best when we're surrounded by other people yeah. who are of a like mind. You can forget about the person who wants Netflix or Amazon Prime. I don't have them in my network anyways. <laughs> yeah, very wise. I want to switch a little bit because we started talking about, you know, finding the purpose and also 
that a lot of people now realize that they got this job, you know, they're on the journey, they have the title, they have the money, they have probably a car, maybe a German one if they're smart. <laughs> they have the house, your nationality. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever it is, but then suddenly they realize, well, as you said, and I really like how you said that because it's so true and people just are not willing to admit it. You know, I've done this all for my family, but really there is a lot of ego behind it too. But now let's just say someone is like, hmm, all right, well, now I got it all. So now what? And I recently actually had this conversation with someone who said, you know, I do have my business. I pushed through a lot of adversity or hardship or whatever you want to call it, challenges, whatever it is. But I just don't know what my why is. I don't know what my purpose is. I love my business, but that's kind of, you know, it. And I don't know why, the deeper why I'm doing all of this. How are you approaching people like that who are kind of already successful, maybe more than successful than many yeah. of us? Or, um, so what are we going to do with them? Well, I, I think, I think it's, it's interesting. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people, they get to that place. I mean, the one thing, Monique, we know for sure and for certain is money won't make you happy. I'm not an enemy of money. I like money. I like having it. I like using it. I like spending it. I like going on nice holidays. I like all of those things. And I'm not decrying it, but it will not make you happy. And it, it's interesting to see that the people that you know have made a lot of money, they would be the first people that would actually say that and everybody else goes well it's easy for them because they have it right right <laughs> but but the fact of the matter is that that it's true they they mm -hmm. would say that i i one client of mine that that i i've worked with for a number of years and built the business up to an over 30 million a year business from nothing right and and he was saying to me quite recently he said you know he said i wish it was back at about between one and three million a year he said because you know, he said, it was fun. He said, now I'm just kind of dealing with all the stuff that goes to, to running it and not boring. But to go back to your question, I think that, you know, there's no quick answer to find somebody's why. But I think that you've got to keep asking people, you know, what actually really matters to you? What is important? You know, what is it that engages them? What is it that they, if they dig deep down into their heart, that they know is really important to them. Because it's got to be, you can't take somebody else's why and apply it to yourself, right? I know I, I know people who've got, you know, fantastic whys, but it's not something that I would feel that I would actually, I mean, I would agree with what they're doing, but I don't think it's something that would actually necessarily fit my competence. So it's got to be matched with something that, it's something that I really believe that I can make an impact with mm -hmm. and that impact matters in the world right so i think it's got to be a combination of my skill set my knowledge my expertise because it's got to be something where i flourish but it's got to then also connect it to something that's going to make an impact in the world and i think that you know it's it's for people to really think about that so you know what am i really good at what is it if i really pair it back what is it that I'm really, really good at? Where do I make an impact? And then 
how could I find you know something that that skill set if it's matched against something that is has, has a real impact and that that impact really matters to me. And so it, that's really kind of the process that I kind of go through with people to kind of identify what it is, because sometimes it can be quite surprising. Sometimes it can be something that just evolves. Mm -hmm. But I think the first thing is to actually get people aware of the fact that they're not clear on their why and that their why is not, you know, becoming the CEO like I was. <laughs> With the big office and the, the the boardroom table in the in in the office and everything else that goes with it, and the car parking space at the very front of the building, not at the back of the building. So all these really important things, and realizing, you know, that's actually not it at all. So I think it's actually you know, if somebody is kind of starting to ask the question, that's a that's a great starting point. Mm -hmm. I think the the more challenging one is somebody who is just absolutely consumed by the work and the role they do, and then don't actually pay attention to the, you know, the, the, the kind of the fallout from that. And, and I think also, you know, we've got to be clear that, and I th it's, 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 always, it's always something that kind of I, I try and get around and get clear in my own head, is that when you actually talk about doing something, there's always kind of that kind of shadow mission in there as well, is that, you know, yes, I am doing it for... Yeah, you know, for the good. But is there also, is there a part of me that I'm doing it for my ego? Right. right. And I don't think you can ever completely separate that. But I think you're actually, because that's human nature, right? right? But I think as long as it, the ego part doesn't begin to dominate and that you're keeping it in check and that you're aware of it, because, you know, it's a bit like, you know, I also go back to when I was coaching people in the corporate world. Am I angle with them was, okay, I'm going to coach you about the entirety of Monique, right? I'm not just going to coach the Monique who turns up for, for work. Now, some people initially found that slightly uncomfortable. And I was saying, listen, it's not my fault that all of you turns up here. I mean, it's not just a part of you that turns up here, right? And we can't separate ourselves so simplistically that there's yeah. the work me and there's the personal me. I mean, I hate the term work-life balance for starters because, you know, I think it's all about life and it's just work is just something that you, that you find in that. It's not work and life. Life is not separate to work. So I think that you've got to look at the entirety of the individual and I think it's really important that you do that when you're coaching because mm -hmm. if the whole focus is on the work and the business and that, by its very nature and logically, that's a very one-dimensional person. Right. Right. And, and that one dimensional person is causing a lot of fallout in their world because there are people close to them that are paying a big price. And, you know, I guarantee, and listen, I'll be honest, I did it, I did it myself in, in, in the corporate career. I, I said I was out because I was building a career because I wanted for my, my wife and my children and all of that sort of stuff. I was. But I was also, because I was just ambitious, I wanted the title, I wanted the profile, I wanted the big office, I wanted the big car, I wanted the accolades. I wanted, I, and I did, right? And I would say that I had that out of balance and out of kilter. Mm -hmm. And that was the realization when my wife died, it was kind of, is this it? That was the moment for me to kind of get it a little bit back in, in perspective and then take it on from there. And I think it's always the challenge to yourself, but I think it's also the recognition that for all of us have that kind of shadow person 
there that's there behind. And we've got to make sure that we don't ignore it and pretend it isn't there because that's stupid, right? But it's actually about recognizing it and making sure that we don't allow it to dominate because we've, we have seen examples in, in the world where people have started off with a very mission-driven objective and, and suddenly they become terribly well-known for it and it begins to tip over and now they become, <laughs> going back to your Instagram influencer, right? Tips over into that. Now they become kind of showbiz and popular. Mm-hmm. And now that's actually more popular, more important than the actual mission and lose sight of. And you've, we've seen that happen in numerous cases throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there is, I kind of make a little bit of a distinction, I think, between what your purpose is and what your why is. I think the purpose is indeed what you put out there or how you fulfill your mission, for example. But I feel for myself that your why should come from yourself. It should yeah. even be a little bit ego-driven because, and I, I play a little bit there on the muscle of human's needs because why else, if not for the survival part, one of the survival parts, right? Would you do something? And if we not, as you say, acknowledge that, we would always kind of drift up into some shadow parts that we cannot control. Mm. So I feel if we can actually acknowledge and work with it. So for me, one big part is, for example, the freedom, right? Like that I have my own freedom. I'm not controlled by someone else. But also that basically I'm like that I have the freedom and we talk a little bit with for example my chronic illnesses that I don't have to put myself through the pain and the work Hmm. but it's enough to just be laying on the floor be in pain and be fine with it I do not have to work that day if I don't choose to and so I think this freedom plays out on so many parts but it is a it is one of the six human needs on some part of the pyramid kind of you know so and it's an ego-driven reason why i do what i do yeah. so i mean i think i think i agree i think the ego, i think as long as the ego is not and there's nothing wrong with ego i think as long as the ego is not self-serving that it's not just about serving my own ego Right. I think that the the why I agree with the separation between the why and the purpose, but I think that the the ego has got to be okay. Recognizing that, okay, yes, there is something and there is something in this for me, and it's going to fill, it's going to satisfy me, but that the it it does have a meaning and a and a, and, and a context to the to the to the world around me. Absolutely, absolutely, and I say, for me, the why is the last the last piece of fire that's going to die. So if really everything falls apart around you and even your purpose looking out, like if, let's just say, if shit really hits the fan and you're looking out, and but it's not even driving you anymore to say, I want to help a million people to whatever your purpose is, right? And nothing can get you up in the morning. But I dare to say, if I think about, holy crap, if I'm not going to get up this morning, I'm going to lose my freedom. I'm going to be out of bed in a freaking second. That's for sure. 
because yeah. that's the final piece of straw basically that I'm going to have to draw to get me out. It's not going to happen often, obviously, but it's like those days where after maybe a week of painful migraines and pills and whatever, they're the first day that I'm actually a human being again. And I just want to be a human being, but there's work to do. We all have work to do. Um, there may or may not be days where I say like, yep, not today. Or I say, well, if not today, then tomorrow your freedom could be on the line and I'm out. <laughs> so. Well, I think, I think one of the things that, yeah, I think to your point as well, that, that one of the things about freedom is your freedom to choose. And, and your freedom to choose, I mean, I, what, you, what you do and when you do it uh, within, within, I mean, that's you know, obviously a, a little bit of kumbaya, but, but I think it is you know, being able to make the choice. And I think, that's what, if you, I think that's what financial freedom brings you. It brings you the ability to actually choose what you do and how you spend your time. And I think then if, you're, if you've got, if that's value-based, then you would do it, do it right and do the right things. But I think it is, ultimately, it is that freedom to choose how you actually do your work. And I think, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're a lot into efficiency and all of that sort of thing, which is, which is you know, I, I, I would fully, fully agree with. But I mean, as you well know, you can be, you know, you can be very efficient and not very effective. Because you can be efficient at the wrong things, yeah, and and or and you can just be are. a very, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or you can just be a busy fool, right? Yeah, and and I think the effectiveness is actually understanding, well, you know, what are the, what are the small number of things that I need to re- focus on that has have got the biggest impact in my life, and and that's what effectiveness is. Yeah, which is what we do. That's one of the number one things. That well, the first things that we do in one of my programs to actually figure yeah. out what's the top three things that you always have to get to first before you do anything else. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it is important, and, and I mean, yeah, and and I think that you know it sounds terribly obvious, but you know, sadly, it's actually it's it's missing quite a bit, a and lot. and people yeah. need to be reminded of it. Yeah, a lot. I agree. Okay, before we wrap this all up, I have one last question. Actually, I'm lying, sorry. I always have two last questions, but <laughs> I have one last before the two last. Okay. <laughs> so, when basically you were put into this situation of you've lost your first wife, you were there with three beautiful teenagers in the best age of being super annoying maybe, also, <laughs> I mean, I've been a daughter at all of these ages. I, I know how this is. <laughs> but you also were a CEO in like a huge, was it an insurance group? Yeah. Yes. I mean, what the heck did you do? Panic would have been the first, <laughs> would, would have been the first thing that I did. Um, but you also, you know, I mean, I think I think the interesting thing about that, Monique, is that you know, people say to you, oh gosh, you're great and you, you, you coped. Well, what choice do you have? I mean, you know, you've got, you've got three children who in some way are looking to you to give them a roadmap as how do we get out of this hurt and pain and everything like that. And, and there's no real road out of it in the sense of it never, you know, it doesn't disappear. But, and, you know, and I certainly found a short time after that I realized that, 
you know, I really wasn't doing a terribly good job of leading them up. I was, you know, I was angry. I was feeling sorry for myself. It was why me? It was how can I cope and all that. So I kind of went through that period where I really allowed myself to indulge in that. And then it was kind of the penny dropped and thought, you know, if, if they're looking to you for some sort of direction out of this, you're not doing a very good job of being the person that they should be looking at to, to get out of this. So that was, that was a kind of a real turning point in the sense of that it was kind of, okay, I've got to look at this. You know, it's, it's happened. I didn't want it to happen. I didn't cause it to happen. You know, there was nothing I could have done to prevent it happening as it turns out. And uh, so now it's actually about building for the future, recognizing and acknowledging and respecting the past. But it was about building for the future. But the interesting thing, Monique, is that I also found that I learned a lot by observing the three girls, right? Because at that age, slightly different because of the different age they were in, but at that age, they had the great ability to kind of put their hurt on pause and enjoy life. Then they would remember what had happened and they'd feel upset and hurt, but they could feel, whereas as an adult, you tend to have that kind of pain in your stomach constantly, right? And I found that kind of really interesting to observe that they had the freedom to actually enjoy moments. And it was not disrespecting the past or forgetting about it because you just don't. And that was actually a great learning to see, you know, from them. And, and I really kind of started to take that in and to start to say, okay, well, I've got to look to the future and build for the future uh, instead of actually living in the past because it would have been very easy to live in the past because you're hurt. And, you know, and it's, it is the why me. And I did indulge in that for a while. So, you know, so that was kind of, the other thing that I was, I was very fortunate with at that time was that, and I, I say this to, to uh, so many people who will ask me the question, is you know one of the things I was very fortunate is that I had a very good relationship with the three of them, despite all the focus on my career and all of that. I actually really had spent time in building a relationship with all three of them from the time they were tiny tots, and boy, did that pay back big time, big time. Mm. Because if I was turning around at that stage to nearly introduce myself to being the father, that would have made life so much tougher. But the fact that I thank God, had invested the time in having a relationship with them, made that transition an awful lot easier. It would have been a hundred times harder if I hadn't done that. And I know that for a fact. I know that. And the rest of it was just actually the, the, the practical stuff. You know, I've always been, you know, always been to your, I've been always I've been pretty effective at organizing things and getting things done. And the rest is just a process of putting the support in place and, and, and doing all of that. And, you know, and then as time go by, you move forward. I was very fortunate. I met my second wife, Bernie, and, you know, married her and we went forward and, you know, and thankfully she's still with me and she's still yeah, happy to be with me and still enjoy, we enjoy each other. So, but I think at that time it was about, it was shifting the mindset from being poor me to it's happened, acknowledge it. And, and there was a little bit of be a leader to your own children. Because if I'm behaving in that kind of why me, that's kind of giving them the license to do the same. And that's not going to help them. Yeah, Absolutely. 
And I love what you say with like building the relationship. Um, we just celebrated my dad's 60th birthday this weekend. Happy birthday, dad. And uh, I can only say, I mean, we are only two girls, but it's enough. We're enough for 10. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that I can <laughs> believe. He yeah. would agree. <laughs> for yeah. sure. And so my dad has been always working very, very hard and a lot and even had to change completely the direction of, of his job education. By the age of 39, he had to go back to school and, ha and completely do another um, job education based on you know, losing his job, not being able to find a new one after the German reunion. Uh, yeah. And, um, but I've seen him always a lot. Not only his work ethics was what I learned from him, but he's built incredible relationship with my sister and with me, both on a very different basis, because obviously my sister and me are very different. Maybe it's not obvious, but to us it's, it is. <laughs> But yeah, and we were talking about this for his birthday and how he was even able to do that. I mean, my sister and me, we were dancing ballet, but I took it uh, quite a notch up. And he was always there, front up center, in front of the stage, celebrating us. If that meant he had to go to work earlier so he could yeah. leave a little bit earlier, he would do that. He would drive me out to a horse... Uh, stalls so I could go in the middle of the winter at 7 a.m. to to clean a horse and right. and take care of it and stuff like that I was like I think I was eight or nine and he would do that for two years until I said like I think I'm done with cleaning the horse <laughs> and all of these things there was never a no you know I yeah. moved 19 times he did all of the moves with me fantastic right He never said, like, Monique, are you done moving now? No, he said, like, oh, another one? Sure. Uh, when should I be there? <laughs> so, yeah, I can totally understand that. All right, last two questions. Okay. First off, what does efficiency mean to you? Well, yeah, efficiency is, I can put efficiency and effectiveness together, so if I can kind of twist your question a little bit. I, I think that you, to, in order to be effective, You, you've got to be really clear about what's important, right? And then you bring efficiency in to actually make sure that you get the important things done and that you, act, you actually do set yourself up to, to succeed. I know it's a kind of a, a hackneyed phrase, but it's so important that you're really clear about what you're trying to achieve and then what you're, you're spending your time on is, is actually ensuring that you're moving the needle on that. And I always go by kind of the, the Warren Buffett principle where he said that, You know, in any business, there are probably five things that you need to have on your dashboard. And assuming that they're the right five, if you keep those moving forward, you've got a chance of having a very good business. And I think if it's good enough for Warren Buffett, it's probably good enough for me. And I think that, you know, but I think it is being really clear. And I think that's the big challenge for people. I've seen people being very efficient about the wrong stuff. But I think it's actually being really clear about what are the important things that they need to get done. And that's both professionally and personally. And then the efficiency comes in of having a process to actually make sure that you do it. Yeah, 100%. Love it. Final question of the day. If you had to push the reset button on your career, but you keep all of the knowledge, 
which of the three things would you keep repeating to get back to success? One of the three things that I keep repeating, one is keep learning would be definitely. I think that the day that you stop learning and you stop stretching yourself, you know, if there isn't a bit of discomfort, you're not learning and you're not growing. So I think that that would certainly be a a really important one for me. I think the second one would be stay connected. Make sure Mm -hmm. that you're surrounding yourself with the right people because none of us know it all. None of us have all of the answers. And it's surrounding yourself with the right people who really are in a position and are kind of have the freedom to challenge berate at times, but also give you information because I can't know what I don't know. So I think that the second would be that that connection would be really important. And the third would be rituals, having rituals, having daily rituals. I am absolutely passionate about having daily rituals. It's made a huge impact in my life. And I think that anybody anybody that I've seen or read about, uh, I always think I'm fascinated by other people's rituals. And you, you, if you look at people who've been really successful, pretty much they all have a form of rituals. Now, they can be different, but they do have rituals. And I think it is on the principle that you really got to kickstart your day, get yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually in the right place to challenge the day. Otherwise, you're running the battery down all the time and not recharging it. So if I had to pick three, they would be the three. I love that. And I absolutely agree. Routines or rituals, however you want to call them, are the way to go if you want to move forward. I love that. Sean, it was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time today. It's a real pleasure, Monique. It really has been. It's enjoyable. Great conversation. Thank you so much. Please let everyone know where they can find you and what they can find there. Okay, if they go to, they can email me if they're interested in having a conversation. I can email me at john at johnmurphyinternational.com. And my website is www.johnmurphyinternational.com. There's a book that they can download there, which is the 10 key traits of top business leaders, which is really based on the experience I've had of, of coaching Fortune 100 um, senior executives. And there's a ton of resources there that people can delve into and get access to. So www.johnmurphyinternational.com or email me if they're interested in having a chat. They want to have a chat about the mastermind I'm developing. It's john at johnmurphyinternational.com. Amazing. And as you know, everyone who's listening, even if you tune in for the first time, you will find all of the links below in the show notes. And because John mentioned it, if you want to know how to build your perfect morning routine, we also have that for you down in the show notes below. Thank you so much, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you can tune in next week again. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.